Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is part of the Engineered Network. For other great shows, visit engineered.network today. I'm your host, John Chigi, and today I'm joined by my guest host, James Smith. How you doing, mate? Good. Yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different um, for Pragmatic. Although I've done a Christmas episode, which was a bit weird. Um, but yes, um, I actually wanted to talk about Iron Man, as in like, you know, the Iron Man. <laughs> does everyone, does anyone know, not know who Iron Man is? I, so, think at, I think at this point, it'd be really hard to escape yeah. Iron Man. Because there's been, now there's been um, a blockbuster movie, so there's been three movies, and he appeared in both of the two Avengers movies. So the first Avengers and Avengers to Age of Ultron. So, yeah, <clears throat> he's gotten around. Yeah, we're not going to be getting rid of him until I think through 2020 because the the next up we've got uh, Captain America Civil War where he obviously plays a massive part and then we've got the the other two follow-up Avenger films. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be on our screens for at least a little while yet. And that's a good thing because Iron oh, Man totally. is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and okay, I realise that this is pragmatic and this is real-world trade-offs and everything and so on and so forth. And okay, I just want to state up front, yes, we know that Iron Man is a cartoon character of sorts and isn't real. And okay, I get it. I know that. Okay, I, I get it. But, <laughs> but, 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 uh, of all of the superheroes, I find him the most appealing as a superhero because some of the technology that he uses is actually in within the realm of possible. You know, he's yeah. like, he's a normal guy, you know, you know, smart, sure. But other than that, a normal guy. So I was thinking about what other superheroes are like that. And I was thinking the closest one would be maybe Batman, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's just a normal guy too. And he's just got this very unhealthy bat obsession. And that's okay, <laughs> I guess. But anyway. So, uh, yeah. And his, so his technology, uh, so getting back to Iron Man, his technology is what makes him a superhero. And that's what's different. And that's why I find him so appealing. I mean, because I, you know, I just keep thinking, well, I really could use an Iron Man suit. That'd be so cool. But anyway, um, so I thought it might be fun just to look at some of the stuff that Iron Man has in his suit, some of the technology that he uses, and just look about the realm of possible, impossible, or, you know, am, am I dreaming? And I'm probably going to crush some dreams. I don't mean to, but uh, I can't help myself. But I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're here to stop me from crushing people's dreams. Okay, James? Mm, uh, maybe. Okay. Well, let's see how we go then. Um but anyway, yes. So uh, where are we? Um, oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I just want to think, just talking about the Avengers, though, and I was thinking, yeah, he's like a normal, normal, normal person. Uh, but because he hasn't been hit by gamma rays, he hasn't been injected by some kind of mystery substance and zapped with electricity or something. Um, he hasn't found some stupid magic ring or anything um, that does stuff. You know, it's like, and he hasn't come from another dimension or a realm or a alternative anything. He's just like, a guy. And I was thinking on the Avengers that actually, because technically Hawkeye and Black Widow are also both thoroughly normal. Yep. So Exactly. But but d- d- would you call them superheroes? Uh, yes. No, what? Well, okay, they're part of a superhero team. So yeah. kind of they are superheroes. If you look, I I love Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff as a character because, you know, her backstory and just 
Scarlett Johansson just plays the character so well. Oh, and yeah. I would I would kill to see a Black Widow film and why Marvel isn't making a Black Widow film, I don't know. But yeah, she's just a great character and I think it kind of ta- they take it up to the superhero level by, by being so skilled. And maybe Hawkeye takes it to the next level because he's got his fancy um, selector on his bow where he can kind of change the arrow tip and, you know, some are grappling... Grapple hooks, some are, mm. you know, explosions and yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, fair comment. Fair comment. But I just, for whatever reason, I just don't find their their gadgets. And okay, his his um his his bow and arrows cool. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, come on, Iron Man, right? Okay. Oh, total, totally. So okay, so let's without further ado, um, I just there's a few key elements I want to talk about, and I, I guess we'll start with the arc reactor because you got to start yep. with the arc reactor because the whole suit is powered by this thing. And it's this tiny, teeny little round circle thing that glows. Looks very cool. But um, anyway, so apparently, according to you know the films, it generates something like eight gigajoules a second. Okay, that's quite a lot, considering <laughs> that, um, you know, like, uh, let's see, I worked at a power station, it was um, 1.44 gigawatts of electricity, and it was a huge coal-fired power station. So, yeah, the gigajoules a second is not the same as gigawatts, of course, but, I mean, it's just... Yeah, okay, that's a lot of power apparently, but it's got <laughs> it's got palladium as its core. They reckon in the second movie, that's the only time I think they mentioned the palladium core. No, that don't they? Me- they mention it in the in the first film because that's mm. what he gets out of the uh, when he's taking apart his uh, missiles to make it. So oh, he, gets yeah. pl- he gets the palladium, um, which if people yeah. out there don't know, it's also used um, as a precious metal in. You can buy palladium rings, so you mm-hmm. know you might get yourself a white gold ring. You might get yourself a palladium ring. I was looking at one myself when I got married. Um, okay, but so what then, did you, what did you get though? Did you get I gold? For, I went for white gold ah, um, instead. Nice. I went for gold, yeah. gold. That's the gold kind of gold. <laughs> anyway, sorry, keep going. No, that's cool. Um, and I think it's only at the end of the first film mm. when he creates a new element, which is used to do the power. The oh no, no, no it's a yeah, I'm yeah. Sure it's, is it the first film or the second film? No, it's the second he, film. Yeah, in the second Iron right. Man movie. Yeah, that's right. Where he gets that's the right. map. Yeah, the map of the. Oh, what was it called? Um, the world the Stark, of tomorrow. Yeah, the Stark uh, Expo. Stark Expo. That's it. And he had yeah. the map of the Expo and everything, and it was like an element or whatever. Anyway, so I guess the thing about palladium is, I thought, okay, let's let's look at that just briefly. What's so special about palladium? It's a Group Ten element in the periodic table. So, um, nickel, palladium, platinum. Uh, Oh, my God, I hate this one. Dumb stadium. Anyway, whatever. But the point is that the elements, they're in the same group and they have similar properties. So it makes sense uh, you know, that something like dumb stadium could be a replacement for palladium. Uh, but the longest live half-life of that isotope is about 10 seconds. So it's like if you're looking at the periodic table, those are getting heavier and heavier. Right? So nickel, palladium, platinum, and then dumb stadium. It's like that's actually... Um, a radioactive, unstable isotope. It's like, well, okay, so he's going to make a new element. It's got to be something like palladium, but more uh, like he has to make it. So it's going to be a super heavy <laughs> element, right? So because you know how like with n- neutrons and protons, there's like these magic numbers and the possible magic numbers of neutrons uh, for a spherical nucleoids, uh, it's like 184 and some possible sort of numbers, you're like 114, 120, 126, uh, and they give you a different stable series of isotopes. So you can have uh, predicted elements that have never been synthesized before. 
and they, they, they're predicting that it's possible that these could actually be stable if we could actually like smash the atoms together and make enough of this stuff. And I actually looked up the names of these and I'm going to struggle, but I'm going to read them anyway. So <laughs> maybe these were the elements that he created, one of these. So one of them is um, Fluorovium 298. Um, and they get really boring after this. It's uh, Unbil- Unbilinium 304 and Unbilhexium, Unbilhexium 310. There you go. Anyway. So, of course, like I said, no one's actually synthesized these. Uh, they, and the Large Hadron Collider sort of conjures up these ideas that you could really do this. But, you know, I guess maybe that's a little bit optimistic trying to build a Large Hadron Collider or something like it in your basement, which is what he does in the second movie, right? And Exactly, yeah. It's like that's a little bit optimistic perhaps. I mean, you know how much power that would take? <laughs> and just think about it. It's the curvature of the track. Think how tiny that, that basement is. The Large Hadron Collide has got a diameter of, I mean, a circumference of 27 kilometers. Well, to, to be fair, he has got a pretty big house and he did smash through <laughs> some walls. So, I don't, I, I don't know. He might have enough space. In okay. So, he's got... Okay. You do, do the math on 27 kilometers. It works out as a diameter of 8.6 kilometers or 5.4 miles, right? 5.4 mile diameter. So, that's a bloody big basement, man. I'm just saying it's big. I know he's got a lot of cars. It's, but- it's Tony Stark. Yeah, enough said. You're right. It's totally possible. So anyway, um, <laughs> oh God, I tried. It's, it's just it, mm, the law of um, yes. Never mind that. So now let's just move away from the whole. Could he make something to replace palladium? Okay, probably not in his basement. Probably didn't have enough power. Curvature probably not not was too you know narrow. Not no 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 no. But that's fine. It's okay. He still did it, and it was a perfect shape of a triangle because when you synthesize an element. It, forms a geometric shape no no he already had the geometric triangle and he <sighs> aimed the, the laser beam or like he aimed the beam like he twisted it through Damn the it. prism you're right at it, and and then it started glowing and see there's the new element you're keeping me honest that's it <laughs> you're damn right exactly that's what he did sorry god i don't know what i'm thinking all right fine good beautiful triangle glowing triangle but anyway and it tastes like coconut apparently <clears throat> anyhow right let's see um right yes yeah, so ha. <sighs> How does the arc reactor actually work? And it's really not clear because it's like the thing sort of like spontaneously fires up and then blink, 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 kind of like a a fluorescent light bulb, like a starter on a fluoro. And magic, it just comes to life and, you know, burns really bright and has lots of power. That's awesome. But you know what it got me thinking of is it got me thinking of a perpetual motion machine. Well, that's the whole idea behind it is that it's just going to keep on going, and th- and that's why, um, in the in the orig- in the Iron Man movie, like that's mm. the excuse for building one at their factory. It was kind of an experiment to please all the hippies to say, okay, we're generating our own electricity. Um, yeah, but the, the, I mean, the law of conservation of energy makes that impossible because you know you've got you can only convert energy. You can't, you know, you, you can convert energy from one form to another. You, you can't. But anyway, whatever. It's okay. It's damn, fine. Damn it, John. Don't don't ruin this for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But okay. All right. No, it's fine. It's fine. So here's the thing. Because these suits, the, the suit, any suit like that, and we're going to talk about some of these, some real world suits, you know, towards the end, because, you know, these suits are very cool and a lot of people have been inspired by it. And um, the problem is that you need energy to drive the suit because the suit has mass plus it's, you know, it's, it's also you know, hauling your own ass around so obviously it's gonna you know it needs energy for that and if it's tethered to an extension lead you're not gonna fly very far <laughs> just, it's like 
hey, look at me, I'm flying. Oh, damn it, the cord came out and down you go. <clears throat> Probably not practical or safe. So anyway, you, you got to have a portable power source. So it's got to be a battery or some kind of thing. And I guess arc reactor sounds better than nuclear reactor. And frankly, I don't know how you do a nuclear reactor in that size and put a nuclear reactor in your chest and see how long you live. Probably not that long. So anyhow. Probably not. No, probably not. Okay, so I haven't got too much more to add about the arc reactor. So let's just say, whimsically, yeah, I really wish that that was true, but never mind. Although I do believe at some point we'll have a portable power source that's capable of that, of, of capable of, of delivering amount of power for a period of time. I mean, I don't know if that's fuel cells with like a high energy density uh, li- rechargeable liquid or, or something, you know, but just, yeah. Anyway, all right, all right, all right. You want to talk about flight stabilizers? Sure. Yes. Because everyone likes to talk about flight stabilizers. Like, okay, first of all, so far as we can tell, there is no propellant, right? Like a thruster to have a propellant of some kind, like a jet engine, you know, burns fuel to create, you know, high velocity, hot air out the back and and so on, right? But there's no propellant. This is all seems to be driven by power from the arc reactor. If there is a propellant, there can't be very much propellant. So it got me thinking actually about an ion drive. Have you ever come across ion drives in space uh, spacecraft? Uh, just more in science fiction than anything real. Mm. Now they've actually built them. They actually have ion drives. Seriously, they do. Cool. Yeah, and they um they what they'll do is they'll take um small particles and they'll accelerate them out back. But the the thing and it creates thrust going forward because that's you know that's Newton's law. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction is the mangled version of it. But, you know, it's close enough. It gets the point across. And, you know, so ion drives real. They work. And so I thought, okay, let's assume these flight stabilizers are just like um, miniature ion drives, just like really refined technology. And it's got a propellant that you just can't. It's hidden somewhere. Anyway, because that'd be so cool. Anyway, so I thought, what's the biggest ion drive ever made? Well, the biggest ion drive that's ever made has a thrust, it generates a thrust of 250, wait for it, millinewtons. Now, <laughs> a millinewton is probably not so much, really. Uh, it's great in space when you're not fighting gravity, but on the ground, the average Western person, and when I say Western, I don't mean from Western Australia, because they're like just this, they're this, oh man, hang on, I've got <laughs> listeners in Western Australia. I love you, Western Australia. Anyway, never mind. Um, as in Western culture, we tend to be a little bit on the heavier side and we blame McDonald's and sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Anyway, um, 80 kilograms, roughly, whatever that is in pounds. The point is that you know, at sea level, that's about 800 newtons of force on the ground. So that's 800 newtons of force you're, pu- you're pushing on the ground because of gravity. So largest ion drive, 250 millinewtons. It's probably not going to lift too many hairs on your head. I would suggest. Probably not. No. Now I've ruined it for you, haven't I? Yeah. But <laughs> I have to say that the the first scene where is it where Tony Stark is experimenting with flight yeah. in the first Iron Man movie, it's just it's so funny. I it, know. It's a great comedic break. I just know. when he's like he's only got the boots and it's like, okay, maybe I need some thrusters so I don't get shoved up to the roof and then land on the car, which realistically, how did he get up after that? Because that was a pretty big... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, God, that must have hurt. I mean, we in kind of hospital in a concussion. I mean, yeah. holy crap. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, um, I think it started out like 10% of thrust and then he goes back, okay, let's try 1%. <laughs> 
Okay. But yeah, and, and just sort of like drifting or floating around in the garage and blowing everywhere. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I love that part. It was very good. But um, anyway, so that's Ion, Ion technology. I thought, okay, well, here's another cool idea. And not that long ago, someone came out with this idea, come up with this idea of uh, what they call an EM drive. Has you ever come across these electromagnetic drives? No. No. It's uh, a relatively new, insane idea. Uh, and the idea is that, well, if you go completely cray-cray, as my five-year-old would say, um, maybe they are like an RF resonant cavity thruster. That's the full name. But the two kind of drives, there's the EM drive and the Canet drive. Um, actually, I love the Canet drive because the Canet drive is actually, um, the name of the drive is based on Scotty from Star Trek. As in, you can't, you can't change the laws of physics. So I can't drive, get it? You see, I can't drive. It's like, oh, that's, that's kinda, brilliant. It's good, isn't it? It's good. That's good. So a Star Trek fan was a physicist who was a Star Trek fan who named it. And, anyway. All right. So, yeah, um, it's supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek name, but the guy's actually serious. Uh, and the design, what it's designed to do is it's designed to demonstrate that energy in an RF resonant cavity can actually create thrust, which is theoretically not possible because you can't have an action and a reaction because the magnetic field uh, of the RF radiation electromagnetic field isn't actually going to be able to exert pressure because it's not actually moving matter. So you don't get an action and a reaction in theory. And anyway, so some people said, yeah, it kind of works. And other people say, well, no, it completely doesn't work. And and there's like, well, hmm, I'd love to believe that that was actually possible. But, you know, all the measurements and stuff done on these drives, it's like, oh, the measurement equipment can't measure it because it's so so subtle amount of force or that um, essentially the like the electromagnetic fields affecting the instruments so it's giving like a false reading like it's pulling on the on the force gauges or something so they haven't independently proven this is even possible so laws of physics says <laughs> no anyway whatever <sighs> so I'm gonna have to have an Iron Man suit with no thrusters at this point I'm sorry oh, John what I know. Don't... I'm sorry <laughs> all right fine Heads-up displays. Yes, we have them. Oh. Let's talk about heads-up displays. Yes. They're totally a real thing. You know, they're so awesome. Um, eye tracking is a real technology, right? Um, so fighter jets, you know, like uh, F-22 Raptors and um, not so sure the Joint Strike Fighters got it. I think they did it on a budget. I don't know. Anyway, point is that um, they're, they're totally a real thing. And every time I see a VR headset, what's the the latest one that's the rage? Um, uh, the Oculus or the new yeah. uh, the Samsung VR? Uh, yeah, either of those. But I was thinking originally of the Oculus. But yeah, and I mean the problems with latency and the problems with um, well, I guess the difference is that a virtual reality headset's trying to take you away into a completely different reality, whereas yeah. a heads-up display is really just an overlay over the top, more like a. Google, Google Glass. Yeah, exactly. Google Glass, which is now, you know, because of all the glass holes, now it's all like, <laughs> yes. I love that name. It's so good, good, isn't it? It's like, hey, you're such a glass hole. And it's like, uh, that's not technically an insult, but I feel insulted, so I'm going to take it off surreptitiously now and I wasn't wearing anything. I mean, because you've got to look like a bit of a d- you know. Yeah, and I think the um, the other one that I heard of recently, which was really really cool, um, was a single LED embedded inside, or it was something like an LED. It was embedded inside a contact lens, um, and it was I think it was for diabetics to notify them when blood sugar was getting low. Uh, yeah, like, 
Yeah, and I was just like, oh, this is, you know, the perfect application because nobody else is going to see that and you're just going to get like a little notification. Oh, maybe you should uh, check this out quickly and um, remedy the situation. Yeah, that's actually really cool. I had heard about that. Um, it was a while ago, but I, I remember reading about it. It's, um, I just I love where the technology is going. It, it, not that long ago, it was difficult to get just a reading of um, your, your heart rate using an optical set of, set of optical sensors. But now they can, right? Mm. So it's not super accurate, but it's certainly a lot better than, you know, it's either that or we have a, one of those mobile cuffs that pumps itself up on your arm with a battery and then lets it itself out slowly listening for a pulse. And you're, and you're, anyway. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, but yeah, heads up displays, totally awesome um, and totally a real thing. Of course, whether or not they're at the same level of sophistication as the ones in Iron Man is probably the stretch. But honestly, it, the technology does exist, so that is kind of cool. So there you go. Hey, something about Iron Man's suit uh, that is actually real. All right. <laughs> There's more, though. I was thinking about Jarvis, and then I was thinking about Siri, and then I was thinking about... Um, <laughs> I don't know why this came into my head, but I've got it written down. Okay, Jarvis and Siri sitting in a tree. Okay, uh, yes, yes. No? Not yeah. funny? Not funny? No, no, no. Because total, total but, dad joke. But I know, but that oh, fine. You're right. It is. But the point is that Jarvis and Siri arguing with each other would I would pay to hear that. Someone should make that happen. But anyway, I, I swear I've heard something like that where they pitted um, Cortana and Siri against each other, and they just kind oh, of yeah, or, or it was two AIs, and they they basically just talked back against each other. Or there was the um, the screaming application that would kind of like scream back and forth and it just kind of progressively got worse and yeah oh god uh it's so awesome but um yeah so i guess i guess the thing with jarvis is that it's there's two aspects right there's the voice recognition bit um as in understanding and comprehending but then there's the artificial intelligence aspect and i don't think anyone would argue that you know messing with something like siri for a while the voice recognition is getting better, but mm-hmm. certainly a lot better than the Dragon Dictate days. Yeah. You know, when you had to train it. God, that was painful. But I remember having to do that. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so painful. But yeah, so at least Siri's got that going for it. And it's just that the Jarvis, of course, takes it to that next level. So um, maybe 20, 30, 50 years, maybe we'll have voice recognition technology that's as accurate as what Jarvis apparently can do. Uh, but, I mean, superficially, Siri can do that now, right? It, but the AI yeah. aspect is what we just don't have. And, unless, of course, Skynet's lurking in your computer and we just don't know and we're about to all die. But it's possible. But yeah, it's the, unlikely. Yeah, the reality is that, that Jarvis, it's kind of a full AI that can think for itself. Uh, it can perform a whole heap of different actions. Like, it even runs his company most of, most of the time, whereas Siri, it's just, it's really just a whole heap of baked in kind of answers and responses and similar frames and and, yeah. uh, um, and questions are just analyzing those and giving you back the standard answers yeah exactly and but but siri still got sass and actually so does jarvis i mean i remember one of my favorite jarvis lines is that um something like uh, i've also drafted up a safety briefing uh for you to ignore <laughs> and i'm yeah, like we're just yes. got- but that feels just like something siri would say you know it's like so you know siri still got sass and that's okay so anyway. And just and just straying a little bit uh, from the movies to the, back to the comics. Um, mm. in, in the in the comics itself with Iron Man, um, Tony Stark actually creates a whole heap 
of different AIs for different situations. And at one point, he creates one uh, which is called Pepper, P-E-P-P-E-R. And oh, it's, cool. it's uh, that one's really quite funny. So, just while we're on the subject, um, I have not read, and this is where the comic-loving audience turns off or throws a stone at me or something, I've not read a single Iron Man comic. But you, on the other hand, how many do you reckon you've read? Uh, not a great deal. I, I basically, uh, for comic nerds out there, they'll understand this. I dived into comics really um, after the after Marvel uh, rebranded to Marvel Now, which is uh, Marvel's version of kind of going back to number one in comic and, and just starting fresh with all the characters. Um, new backstories kind of realigning all the, the continuity between uh, all the different um, comic series. Um, so that's where I kind of I jumped in. And before that, I also read uh, the Civil War storyline, which was a really great piece of writing. Um and yeah, I think I've read a couple of the different Iron Man series. Uh, I think there was Superior Iron Man, Iron Man um, Incredible Iron Man. Yeah, I can't remember all the different names and iterations. All new Iron Man. And they're about to relaunch it again. Well, of course. I I, I just... Why do they keep doing that? So they write themselves into a corner, then they have to start over and rewrite themselves into a different corner. Is that what happens? Yeah, kind of. So the, the, <laughs> the, latest, the latest one is Secret Wars, where... Um, all the different uh, Marvel universes, all the different um, kind of the ultimate universe and the regular unit. So the the kind of the movie universe uh, is a separate... Um, Marvel actually numbers each of the universes so you can tell them apart. And off the top of my head, I don't know what they are. I should, but uh, I saw, I'm sorry I don't. So like the, uh, the cinematic universe is actually numbered as a certain multiverse. Um, and then the... The regular universe and the and the ultimate universe smash together, and uh, Secret Wars is all about okay. All the different pieces of Earth have kind of been hobcobbled together, and you've got different characters from, di- and they're all kind of smashed together. So that's why they're relaunching them all uh, because some characters have died off, parts of Earth have died, and other parts from other universes have come in. It's all very complicated, and we should probably get back on track. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Look, I was just curious, and I um. Because like I said, I haven't haven't read any of the comics, but I've seen you know all the movies and um, you know done a lot of reading up on uh, on different exoskeletons and stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But um, so all right, okay, fine. Well, let's get back on topic then, because I I want to talk about a specific suit before I talk about actual real world exoskeletons. And please I, tell me I, it's the briefcase suit. Oh, I, you know what? You want to talk about the briefcase suit? We can if you want. <laughs> no, it's but all right. I was. It's I, just- I, I, what? I'm just con- I'm just connected to that briefcase suit because uh, my first introduction to Iron Man was when I was a kid and it was the animated Iron Man and he was always carrying this briefcase around with him and like he steps into it and then seeing that in the movie but I think I know the suit that you're going to talk about so yeah is it the Mark 42 <laughs> yes. the prehensile suit yes how did you know I was going to talk about the prehensile suit it's just so freaking cool I mean think about it it's like the suit comes apart and you can call the suit to you. It's like, come here, suit. Come here. Get on my yeah. hand. <laughs> and like how we can throw the suit away. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that cool move, like if the suit's assembled itself and he's not in it and he can do this kind of funny karate choppy move across it and just collapses on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> That's just so cool. Anyway, um, 
all right. So that's the one. If, if, if you're not following which one I'm talking about, it's the one in Iron Man 3. And um, the, the line that Pepper throws is, so what are you up to? Like Mark 7 or 8 on that thing? And he looks at his wrist and it's like Mark 42. And he's like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. So anyhow, never mind. Um, you sort of see bits of it also in Avengers um, 2. That's um, Age of the Angry Age Metal Guy. Oh, Ultron. <laughs> yeah, Angry Metal Dude. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ultron. Yeah, Close him. enough. Yeah. James Spader, basically, who is such a brilliant voice for Ultron. Just so good. Oh, so good. <laughs> I know. But anyway, so yeah, because like when he goes to grab the scepter, he just holds his arm out. And he's like, come here. I just want a hand. And so the hand flies over. And, and when he's um, trying to pull Thor's hammer up at that party and gets nowhere in a big hurry, he's also got the hand on. And actually, on that point, <sighs> so all of the parts of this suit, right, You've got hands slash forearms is one bit. Um, shoulder and upper arms is another bit. You've got the, the head, as in the main part of your head, the face. Uh, then you've got the torso, the chest at the front, chest at the back, and then the feet and lower legs. And all these bits sort of like come together and interconnect and it's all, you know, very, very cool. Because um, yeah. it, it assembles piece by piece. And anyway, so the problem, first problem is, the arc reactor is still there to power the entire suit. So how does it power the individual pieces when they're not connected? And during Iron Man 3, he sort of like connects some wires when he's in the shed in Tennessee. He, he has some wires connected to each of the pieces to like charge them up. Yeah. Which I kind of sort of guess he's maybe built batteries or something into those components. So what he's done in the later film, so in the in the first couple of films, um, the suits are actually powered directly by the arc reactor in his chest. Yeah. But in the in the later films, he actually embeds an arc reactor inside each of his suits. Um, okay. And and obviously he must have batteries in the in the separate sections or or even smaller arc reactors maybe in each of these separate sections. Okay. So yeah. All right. Well, fair enough then. So. Uh, it's just a matter of how much power you would get in terms of that thrust, right? Mm. Because they're still not, they still couldn't possibly be as big as the arc reactor that he's got in the middle of his chest. So it's like, well, hmm. But anyway, okay. So the little thrusters he's got on these because they need to fly around in the air to find his arm because obviously, you know, they're heavy and they got to fly. So they got little thrusters in them. And that's, that's okay, I guess. But I guess the problem I've got with the whole hand pulling the, trying to pull Thor's hammer up, for example, it's like, well, you've got a bit of an action reaction like a physics problem there because if you think about it all you're really doing is you've got your hand in a in a glove made of metal that's very heavy and you're trying to use that to give you extra strength so you've got these little thrusters on it and the thrusters are what give you that sort of strength but if you're wearing the full suit you'd be leveraging all of that power it's like how is it what if i was really seriously trying to lift thor's hammer with iron man i would have the whole suit on you know because i'd want to have all that leveraging power connected all the way through to my feet i'm just i'm just saying you know no i know but at the end of the day he's not worthy so he's not going to be able to lift the hammer <laughs> fine yeah but if but if it goes up in an elevator does that mean the elevator's worthy anyway uh, yeah this is uh, this is an interesting <laughs> point <laughs> oh they had so, that at the end of the movie it was so funny oh uh, it was great oh, actually just it. slightly segueing have you seen the video of the guy who makes a real thor's hammer that can only be picked up by him no, no. What's that? Uh, so he he basically embedded a massive electromagnet into the hammer mm. with a thumbprint scanner. So and also a capacitive sensor on the handle. So what he would do is he'd go out in public and he'd put 
the hammer down on like a manhole cover. Yeah. And he would say, all right, people, try, try and pick it up. And as soon as they grabbed the handle, the uh, because they didn't have their... The thumbprint didn't scan. Yep. It would engage the electromagnet, so they couldn't actually lift it up. And then oh. one guy at the very end of the video, he just kind of comes over and he kind of kicks it off the manhole cover and picks it up. It's like, damn it! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And some yeah. people have too much time on their hands, but that's awesome. Totally <laughs> cool. No, I hadn't heard of that. Also, also, I'm going to link for the show notes for that. That sounds pretty cool. So, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say about that is obviously, you know. The additional force that you're going to be putting on that object or whatever else, you need to leverage it against like a physical connection to through to the ground. Otherwise, it's just going to snap your arm or your leg off, and it's the extra weight of that appendage is just not going to, it's just not going to work. But that's okay because yeah. it's Iron Man. Anyway, so it got me thinking. Iron Man suits may well be a ways off, but what have we got right now? Because there are actually suits not like fully covered suits like they don't you know but they're like more like better described as an exoskeleton have you come across any of these in your travels like seen them around on um like geek websites and stuff or yeah i've seen them um you know there are military applications there are applications for people uh with limited mobility um or Mm -hmm. who might be paralyzed um you can get ones for Steadicam operators, which yeah. um, are, are more designed for they're not so much powering the person, but they're just giving them extra stability and um, extra strength uh, just to yeah. hold the heavy items. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I had a look and there's there's three I just want to quickly talk about. Then there's links for each of these in the show notes. Um, uh, two of them are made by uh, Lockheed Martin and... Uh, the first one they call Fortis, F-O-R-T-I-S. And it's an exoskeleton that attaches to your waist, your legs and arms. And what it does is it sort of provides, it's an unpowered, uh, call it like a lift assisting, like a lift capacity assisting exoskeleton. And it just works by, you know, counterbalance, counterbalance leveraging and, and such. Yeah. And it can make something that weighs about 16 kilos, which is 36 pounds, uh, essentially weightless. And that's good for jobs like if you're doing sanding or, or, or using cutting tools that are very heavy, you know, that's that's very handy. But, of course, it is unpowered, so you don't have to worry about plugging in to charge it. And, of course, you don't need an arc reactor, so um, which is good since they don't exist. Anyhow, um, so I thought that was an interesting one. But if you want true a true a more true analog to an Iron Man suit, they also make one. I mean, they Lockheed Martin, they. Uh, make one called the HULC, H-U-L-C, um, and they're up to the Mark II of that. That's the Human Universal Load Carrier is what that stands for. Now, that can handle 91 kilos. That's a 200-pound load uh, carrying that for about 20 kilometers, uh, which is 12 miles, but that's at slow speeds. So it can sustain a 12-kilometer an hour or 7-mile-per-hour um, average walking speed. Or bursts of up to sixteen kilometers an hour or ten miles an hour uh, running, if if it needs to. Uh, now this this particular one, you know, with that range, they don't give you an operating time in the brochures or anything. But have a look in the show notes. It's an interesting design, and it's sort of got these little strap things that you can use to attach to to heavier load items and sort of have it strapped to you and carry them around, rather than having full arm extensions and you know all that sort of thing. But if you want one that looks more like an Iron Man suit, the most like that is the Raytheon XOS2. 
and it's a lot more versatile and in terms of its capability. But the problem is with that is wonderful, brilliant, as futuristic as it looks. Uh, it's also expensive, but you know, hmm, let's not worry about that. <laughs> it's it's still tethered. It, it's still got an extension lead. Uh, I, that's uh, yeah. So it's kind like, of a downside. Yeah, it's like here's this awesome, absolutely amazing exoskeleton, and here's your uh, 500 kilometer long extension lead. There you go. Have fun. Don't don't get it twisted or anything, snagged on anything. Yeah, voltage drop, blah, blah, blah. There's the battery problem all over again. Never mind that. So, yeah, honestly, I just think that this is very much the future. But actually, yeah, another thing that just occurred to me, it wasn't in the notes, but um, you remember in Avatar how they had those... Um, there's Avatar, they had them. There's Elysium, I think it was. Elysium? What was that one where with oh, Damon and it where yeah. he, yeah, listen, where he actually got the exoskeleton like screwed and bolted into his bones. Like, ouch. Like, really ouch. But yeah. anyway. But, uh, I, that reminds me of um, Iron Man 2. Mm. You know, it's a, Iron Man 2 where um, the other guy is experimenting with creating his own exoskeletons and you see the videos of him trying to do it and people are inside the suits and they got a twist and then the exoskeleton twists all the way around and breaks the guy's back and oh. kind of that, that that worries me about exoskeletons okay what happens if you you accidentally add um, an extra digit to the the degrees that it's allowed to rotate in in the code and you accidentally kind of kill <laughs> someone break some, yeah, break someone yeah. In half. yeah that would that would be a problem that would be a big problem yeah, stray zero. Yeah, I mean, I've I've very very briefly had a look at some of the code that drives like a robotic arm, like a, a three axis rotation robotic arm at a Brickworks once, and and I was looking at that and and the code in behind that. That if you mess it up, you put a protective cage around the outside. If if you mess it up and the bricks go flying off the end or the thing you know hits the wall, you've got a protective safety cage. But if you're going to put a person inside that robotic arm, yeah, if you get it wrong, it's really Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to be volunteering for that. Um, someone else can volunteer for the first few hundred times and then we'll, maybe we'll see. But, you know, hey. So, you know what? Have I just ruined Iron Man for everybody? I think... I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean to. No. No? Good. Because Iron Man is totally real. Okay? And I'm getting a suit for Christmas, apparently. Actually, um, so... Just going back, you know how you were talking about the uh, Lockheed Martin powered suit, the HULC? Yes. Um, just sound out the name. Hulk. Ah, <laughs> so good. You're right. I didn't get I just, that. Yes. I just noticed that. I was like, oh my God, that is... Yeah. Unless uh, they have no <laughs> idea that they've done that, which I don't think. There has to be one guy in marketing who who decided to like put that little joke in there and everyone's yep. like oh what's what's the deal what's so funny yeah oh that's totally a backronym you know um which is an acronym but it was it was reverse engineered from the word although i guess uh, they couldn't work the k in because it was hulk with a k then human universal load k- kryptonite no uh klaxon no i just can't think of a good one for k so yeah uh, they had to switch it to a c it could be uh Kazan Nooney, who's the professor who developed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. But anyhow, yes. But no, that good catch. I, that did not jump out at me, but you're right. Go Hulk. This is all this has all been Yeah. See, isn't it interesting though, because a lot of the um 
a lot of stuff in cartoons, you know, we make into movies, inspires people to try and build this stuff. It's like, wouldn't it be great if we had a powered exoskeleton or suit like Iron Man? And I do wonder if it had not been for comics like that, whether or not ideas like this ever would have found mainstream interest and whether or not the military would even be exploring things like this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it would have, maybe not, but... I just I I have a feeling that it goes back far beyond attempts to actually build this stuff, and I think it's awesome because it's sort of as an engineer I sort of look at this and I I feel the need to try and build an Iron Man suit. I just you know yeah every, every now and then I'm Ma- like I should try and build one. <laughs> Maybe you should start with a Mark One, and I, yeah, I kind of, that's what I really like about the comics is is when when they were first written. Uh, kind of the, the suit of armor was a literal suit of armor and it was much more realistic to the time. And obviously as the years progress and technology becomes more advanced, the suits themselves kind of take years. So they're still years ahead, but they're kind of close to where we are. So, and that's what I really liked about the first film is the first suit he builds. It almost looks like something that you could build because, you know, he had the powered flight and that was actual using propellants to to kind of fly him up in the air and then he crashed to the ground, but it was actually something that, you know, you think you could actually build with today's technology. Yeah, that's true. You're right. And and if I remember rightly, he had like um like a thick leather or whatever else as a protecting layer for yeah. some of it. And uh yeah, the the mask was just like a really did beat the crap out of a bit of steel to sort of like and you could see the weld lines on it. And yeah, it was very, very very backyard again, but it was, you know, <laughs> But, yeah, you're right. It, it, it resembled something that you could build. And I guess that's the thing. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, why I find Iron Man and his suit to be so compelling is because it feels like it's within the realm of, of possible. And if all that it takes is to put a suit like that on and you could be, um, you know, have superhero abilities, then, you know, but that feels like it's a more real possibility someday rather than just, well, I'm just going to hang out in this chemical uh, lab or this crime scene lab and hope to get struck by lightning and get super speed <laughs> rather than just frying to a crisp, which is probably what would actually happen and die. Or mm. get exposed to gamma rays, you know. Yeah, which is totally not going to kill you either. And Well, it's just- no, the important thing is to get struck by enough gamma rays. Ah, so what's the enough level? Is that like um, 10% or 15% or I see this is the, anyway, it's, it's okay. I mean, I, when I lose my temper, I don't turn green. I turn red though, like bright red and that's. You could the, be the Red Hulk. Okay. <laughs> is there such a thing as a Red Hulk? Come on. Yeah, no, there are totally, there are different colors of the Hulk. Um, Seriously? Dep- yeah, it's a big thing in the comics. Uh, I think the Grey Hulk is the one that, oh, one of the Hulks is actually um, very smart and articulate. And also got like the super strength and the other one's like super angry. And then you've got the green who's kind of the, yeah. Look, look it up. There are different uh, t- types of Hulks. I'm I'm actually going to do that now because I want to see the Hulk come up and say, well, with his big, big muscular fist and say, now, please, if you could uh, refrain from doing that, gentlemen, and I will not have to rearrange your face. <clears throat> no? Uh, something like no? that. Okay, fine. Well, I'll, uh, that mm. see, this is the thing. I'm missing out. I have missed out, I think. So I'm going to need to fix this. Okay. Well, you know what? We should probably leave it there. Do you have anything else you want to talk about Iron Man? Um, or should we just leave it there? If, I, if, I, if I've crushed anyone's you know, dreams, I really do apologize. But honestly, I guess I still remain enamored with the idea of Iron Man because it seems so possible. 
Yeah. And it's not magical exactly. It's like we can we could get there someday and that would be so awesome. So my favorite superhero. Totally totally yeah, same for me. Yeah. So there you go. So and yeah, that's the biggest draw for me. Yeah, exactly. So go Iron Man and I want an Iron Man suit and I better get one for Christmas or Santa's gonna hear about it. Yeah, okay, anyway. Right, good, lovely. If you want to talk more about this, you can reach me on Twitter at John Chigi or you can follow uh, Pragmatic Show to specifically see show announcements and other related stuff. Uh, please remember that Pragmatic is now part of the Engineered Network. It also has an account at engineered underscore net that uh, has different announcements about the network and all of its shows and you can check them out at engineered.network. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with James, what's the best way they can get in touch with you, mate? Uh, probably just on Twitter um, at smithjw. That's it. Too easy. All right. If you'd like to send any feedback about the show or the network, please use the feedback form on the engineered.network site. That's where you'll also find show notes about this episode. Anyhow. Uh, oh, and also the uh, network has a Patreon account. So if you like what we're doing here at the Engineered Network and you'd like to contribute something or anything at all, it's all very much appreciated. It helps to keep the network going as well as uh, to promote some new shows that will be coming up shortly and uh, helps us to find some new shows as well. Uh, make sure you check out uh, Nutrium, uh, which is a podcast by some uh, chemical engineer friends of mine, and also uh, Causality, which is my solo podcast that I do um, that looks into cause and effect of uh, different disasters and uh, and miscellaneous things. So anyhow, there you go. That's it. And um, so, yeah, thanks, uh, everyone, for listening, and uh, thanks for joining me, James. No worries. It's been great. Cool. Go on, man. <laughs>